You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code JUNEBUG and save 10% off your purchase. And Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. Have you purchased something from Creative Market and used it in a project? Then you should submit your work to Made with Creative Market, which is a showcase of theirs of designers' works from around the world that are made using Creative Market products, hence the name Made with Creative Market. Um, you can check that out at madewithcreativemarket.com. We have a new review on iTunes. You know I love reading these. Uh, This one is from Seth Stuff, and it's titled, A Window into the Lives of Talented Digital Natives. It reads as follows. I really enjoyed listening to these first few episodes. The interview style is comfortable and clear. The guests are exceptional. It's a great show worth listening to. Well, thank you so much, Seth Stuff. Although the earlier episodes, like if we're talking episode one and two, are rough. They are so rough in terms of audio quality, but they're good interviews, so um, definitely thank you for leaving a review. That really means a lot that you take the time out to leave that. And for anyone else that's listening, if you want to leave a review, just look us up in iTunes, search for Revision Path, uh, leave a rating and a review. It really helps out a lot. Now, switching gears here for a bit. Remember when I said last week that we were going to be moving off of Tugboat Yards? Well, Revision Path is now on Patreon. I got everything set up there on Friday. You might have seen a few tweets about it. Um, There are new pledge levels for you to show your support. There's some great perks as well, including a monthly Q&A video from me and the opportunity to have a monthly Google Hangout with me and with other Revision Path supporters. So it's like a good networking kind of opportunity as well. I'm really excited about it. So head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash donate. That's going to redirect you to our Patreon page. Or if you're already on Patreon, just do a search for Revision Path. It's patreon.com forward slash revision path. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. All right, now let's get on with the interview. This week, I talked with Damian Madre, a product designer at Neo Innovate and founder of Honey and the Glint. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Damian Madre. I am the founder of Honey, a community for designers, and the Glint, a salon that facilitates meaningful conversations. I'm also the product designer at Neo Innovate, an innovation consulting company in San Francisco. Talk to me about what exactly a product designer is or does. I know that in this industry, oftentimes the roles that we have, the names change, the things that we have to do kind of take shape as the industry grows. What exactly does a product designer do? For me, a product designer encompasses UI, UX, 
which is uh, you know both the visual side and the the user experience side of design. Furthermore, for what I do is a lot of product development and strategy, the design of the product. So it's usually a role that encompasses a lot of different things, those things that I've just mentioned. So, so yeah, that's essentially what I do at, say, Honey, for example. I do a lot of the product development, the strategy, and the design and the direction of it. Not a lot of coding on my part, but a product designer can also do some front-end coding, though it's not necessary, but highly recommended. <laughs> is sort of the, the convention for not doing coding as a designer, is that something that is becoming more popular? I know there's always this discussion on whether designers should code or shouldn't code, being a, a generalist versus being a specialist. Yeah, so designers should generally know how to code. They don't necessarily have to be expert at it, but if they are, then good for them. Those are what we call unicorns. But knowing how to code gives you a different perspective on your work and also being able to collaborate with developers. Additionally, the biggest advantage I see with knowing to code is you should be able to execute on your designs, meaning you implement it as you've designed it. It saves a lot of time instead of having a lot of back and forth between yourself and the developer trying to get them to get it right. So ideally, it's better to know how to code and it makes doing and starting things a lot easier because you're more independent knowing how to design and code. If you, you don't necessarily have to know how to do backend development or you don't necessarily have to be the expert on front-end development, but just knowing it goes a very long way. I think as a designer, it really depends on the skill set that you're passionate about and what you want to do. I think in the industry, it's like people run away with the idea that, oh, as a designer, you need to code, you need to code, or you need to know how to code. I disagree with that. It's not necessarily true. Like I said, knowing it is a good thing, but as a designer as or in any profession, you should do what you're passionate about, right? So if I don't like coding, as in my case, then I hate the idea of people telling me I should code, right? No, I don't like coding, so I won't learn to code. I would learn the basics of it, like I said earlier, but this whole idea of pushing on designers that they need, you know, this, this, there's a difference between knowing and then having, like, using the term needing to know the code. So this whole idea of pushing that on, on designers is not something I entirely agree with um, because if you're not passionate about it, and you're more passionate about the creative side of design, then by all means, focus on that and be good at that, right? Generalists, it's good to be a generalist and knowing different things, right? So if you don't know the code or you don't like coding, what are the other things that you're passionate about outside of design? So for example, you can be really good at growth hacking or you can be really good at, at you know, visual design or UX design. These are all different skill sets that are highly valued. So how we look at it is imagine an individual as a pie and that is divided up into your skill sets. And you have to see in that pie, it doesn't mean like no part of it should be code. It's just how much of it you want to be code, how much of it you want to be design, visual design, how much of it you want to be user experience design, looking at it that way. It's, I think that's a better way of looking at it as opposed to saying, oh, you're a designer and you need to know to do front-end or you, you, know, you have to do this or that. 
you don't have to do anything. You just have to do what you're passionate about. So that's kind of how I see it. Now, we have a lot of up-and-coming designers that listen to the show. Are there any kind of specific skills that they would need to have really to kind of compete in this market? And I'm talking, of course, technical or design skills, but like just general life skills as well. Yeah, well, we call them uh, soft skills. I call them soft skills. And uh, soft skills are, are great. Knowing how to facilitate conversations or facilitating a group goes a long way. So that would require confidence and leadership. Knowing how to talk to people, you know, like collaborating. It sounds obvious, but not a lot of people know how to collaborate. So this, these are, you know, the sort of skills that is good to, to learn. A big part of collaboration, I find, is uh, always listening. Try to listen a lot more than you talk because there's a lot of information floating around the room and as long as people are talking... You can extrapolate the the right data to inform your process. So yeah, there's a lot of soft skills. I would say focus a, a lot on them, and you know, not necessarily don't exclude them out of your your growth process. So those soft skills definitely give you an edge because you'll find that when you're working with people, people like working with people who they like. So you might be really great at what you do. But it just turns out you're not great to work with. And that will, even though you're better than the next person, you'll lose out because of that. I've seen and heard that happen before many times. So, so definitely focus on that. In terms of like the technical side of it, again, going back to that pie shape thing that I talked about, comes down to what you're passionate about, what you want to do and what you want to learn. Let's focus on that and then don't worry about necessarily oh i have to know to do this or that to compete right just focus on what you're passionate and care about be good at it and then focus on those soft skills and be good at that and you'll be very competitive i like that approach because you know when it comes to design and i guess you know by proxy as it comes to technology there's a lot of different ways that people can enter this industry it doesn't necessarily have to be as a strict designer or as a strict developer, I'm thinking primarily, I'd say maybe last year, even before then, when there's been this huge push to learn how to code, like there's these coding programs like code.org, Hour of Code, all this kind of thing. And people are really like, really trying to make sure they learn how to code. And I know people that would get really kind of discouraged because they just weren't getting it. It wasn't what they were really passionate about. They just felt they kind of had to do it if they wanted to be a part of the industry, not realizing that maybe they have other strengths and skills which can benefit them in this industry that doesn't necessarily have to come in the form of them like knowing Python or being a whiz with Photoshop or something like that. Yeah, exactly. People also expect you to learn on the job. So um, a competitive advantage is definitely if you're a fast learner. And you know, no matter what you learn in school or you're self-taught when you're in an environment like a startup, you're always going to learn and you're going to have to learn fast. So that's why those soft skills are highly, I would say they're more valuable, they're more important than most skills. The technical skills is obviously to get you in the door, right? Right. Once you're in the door, you're heavily dependent on those soft skills and that's where you level up and you should focus on leveling up all the time. 
So, you know, you get the skills, be good at what you love and what you're passionate about, and it'll get you into the right door, right? For me, a lot of people, they try to hire. When I go in for interviews, or even if I look at a job, they're asking for designer, designer and but at the same time, they want you to know JavaScript and jQuery and CSS and HTML. And basically what that tells me is that that company have no freaking clue of what they want because they don't know <laughs> what a designer is, right? And I understand the need and the, the importance and the benefit and the advantage of and all those things of a designer knowing to code, but it's not necessarily my job, right? It's not necessarily what I've spent the last 10 years building my skill at. So any company that asks me for that, I just routinely just, I don't care about joining your company anymore because we're not aligned. So I guess my point that I'm saying is once you're aligned with what you love, what you know you want to do, then it'll get you into the right door. There's no point trying to get into a door that you don't, you know, you won't fit in or you won't, you know, you won't get into that culture because, hey, they want, it's a coding culture where they don't value design. They more care about everyone being able to code, right? There's an organization that, you know, I interview for and it's a really great company, kicking ass, taking names. It's, it's, it's awesome, but their culture is where everyone codes and at that point in time I didn't even know much front-end work right now I do but then I didn't but I also didn't care about joining because I don't care about doing that sort of stuff and the type of approach they have towards design is less towards design and more towards the engineering aspect of it which is cool and works for them but that's my point right that's not the culture that I I want to fit into so yeah again it comes down to focus on draw up a pie on the board and think about the skill sets you want and you, you like and you enjoy doing and dive into them and figure out which is going to be the greater part of it. But if it's design, sure, design is like 65, 70% of it. What's the other 30% that you can, you can share among different skills? That's how I look at it. The thing about the internet is that there's lots of trends. There's a trend for everything, right? And designers learning to code is a trend it is a trend that will go away because you know that is not necessarily the value in design. It's not necessarily to learn to code, right? And as we move forward in what we're doing in software design, things are going to change and it's going to get to a point where coding is it's either going to change the way we code or it's the way we approach design is going to change. So trends happen and that's fine. I do believe in learning and knowing how to code primarily because it makes your conversation with a developer so much easier it makes the collaboration with them so much easier also developers respect when you know how to code so so it's a good thing to know but i wouldn't necessarily say that you need to know how to do it just do what you're passionate about that's the best model i can think about now you mentioned earlier that you are not just a product designer but you've also co-founded Honey and that you also put on this salon called The Glint. And I want to talk about both of those, but just kind of walk me through what's a typical day like for you. So pretty straightforward, really. I just, you know, get up and try to meditate a little bit just by lying in bed if I can. Usually I'm pressed for time because I wake up and then I got to get ready and I go out. I have a great commute to work, which is walk then I get the BART, and, which is uh, the train in San Francisco. And then I do another five-minute walk. And that allows me to, to think and clear my head. People watch. I'm just usually inside my head thinking a lot. 
and I'm not thinking about today or tomorrow. I'm usually thinking about 10 years from now, 20 years from now. What is it that I'm trying to do? I think about that a lot. So that's usually what my morning is about. I get into work and I'll, we have this thing at, at the office called stand-ups. Most companies do it, especially in software. So we stand up, we do like five minutes, ten minutes, we go around in circle and talk about what we did yesterday, what we're doing today, and if we have any blockers. So that's usually helpful to kicking off the day. And then from that, it's really just like jumping into whatever needs to be done for task for the day or for our goals that we have lined up for the end of the week. We just jump into those things because it's mostly self-organized and self-manage so your approach to work however you like or the best way you see and then at the end of the day 5 30 i continue working so i'll work on honey or i have a side project so i have honey i have the glint i might be helping friends out with their stuff so i do a, a number of projects i'm always like work i'll work from 5 30 to 9 or 10 at the office and then i'll come home and try to relax and started all over again. So tell me about Honey. What was the inspiration uh, behind creating that? Honey stemmed from wanting to create a place where designers can get constructive feedback. There are a lot of design communities, but they all focus on showcasing your work. Honey focuses more on getting feedback and critiques on on your work. So that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do that because, well, primarily because it's just, there wasn't any place for it. And I think it's a valuable thing for the design community. I'm always about like trying to create value and creating meaningful products. So Honey is not necessarily the largest or most popular design community by any stretch of certain standards, but it is there. We've got a great community that give uh, really good feedback. So yeah, that's what inspired it is essentially wanting to help designers improve on their on their work or on their craft. As a freelance designer, it's hard to get feedback. It's 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 also your home, you're in the office, you're wherever you're in a, you're by yourself essentially, you're doing your work. So you're in this silo, so you don't get to bounce ideas off of people and get feedback, right? So in San Francisco, that is not necessarily a problem because it's, there's startups everywhere. There's a lot of designers here, so it's very easy to get feedback. However, outside of San Francisco, it's a different case. So, yeah. And what have sort of been the things that you've learned since starting, honey? Well, well, I've learned a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of mistakes, probably still making mistakes. But I'm trying to think of the one of the key things that I've might have I've really have learned a lot from honey. It's actually one of the reasons that I I do it and I keep doing it is because I keep learning new things all the time. And it also keeps me on the edge. It keeps me on my toes where, you know, my my craft doesn't get rusty because it's extremely challenging to do it. So I guess what what I've learned about Honey, I've learned how to manage teams because I've had to outsource the work and work with developers. So I've learned how to manage, uh, do product management. That is also part of my skill, a very small part of my skill set on the pie. So I've learned that, which is really awesome. I think that's cool and good to know. I've learned a lot about building communities. So that is also a big part of why I do Honey, because I love creating communities. So that there's also learning in that. I've improved my product design skills. I've learned about 
retention and activation and emailing strategies. Although I'm still learning about that, but emailing strategies. So there's just like a, you know, it's an entire product with over 13,000 designers and you're trying to get people to come and give feedback and submit work. So there's a lot of things you learn around product, which, you know, goes into like very minute detail, like email strategies and how do you do that and how do you craft emails. Some of the stuff that are the, might seem uninteresting, actually, or kind of boring, but they're actually pretty great stuff to, to know for any other project that you might work on. So, so yeah, I've learned, to, I've learned a lot. <laughs> it's kind of hard to list them, list all of them. Now, as it relates to kind of building communities, I know that's something with, with Provision Path that I am, am still constantly learning or, or trying to learn how to really sort of build communities, especially around an online space. What are some tips that you can give to make that happen? Like, how do you help build and foster a community online? Uh, always constantly engage and provide value to the community. That goes a long way. Consistency is important. Consistency in everything you do is important. So if you're doing a product, then, you know, be consistent in that. Uh, and uh, I'll give you an example even with what you're doing. If you're building community with revision, consistently doing the interviews is, is what helps to build that, that community. The minute you kind of deviate from that or you miss two weeks or two shows or something, then that begins to affect the community. So consist and that's... And, I, I say consistency over and over because it's actually hard to do. So consistency is a, a big part of it. Transparency. Transparency is, is debatable. But for me, I, I approach community, and I think it's the best way to approach community, is to be transparent, be open with what you're doing and how things are progressing. So generally, when people are part of communities, the way they see it is that they're making an investment to be part of this community. Because they're making an investment to do that, then they they care about the progress of it and how it's growing and where it's going. And it's, so, definitely being transparent and all these things uh, are very very important. I think, yeah, like primarily those are the two important things: is uh, consistency and transparency for me. I think everything else is you know fairly basic of what you might know. Another huge part is trying to bring people together as often as you can. So we live in a digital world. There's everything is online. But when you bring people into physical space with each other, then that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And it helps to build that community because it brings people closer and helps them to connect. That's important. And they complement each other. So if you have an online component of your community and it's going really well, you would find that if you do the offline component of it, it'll get stronger. And then in some cases, you have the offline component, but not the online component. And if you add the online component, it'll get stronger. So they complement each other really well. Now, building on that community sense that you're talking about, as well as bringing people together physically, tell me about the glints. You said that that's sort of about bringing people together as well, making these experiences. Yeah, so the glints is essentially, I mean, it started like tr about three years ago, and now it's sort of like a restart and an experiment and constantly making changes to it. So what it is today or right now is we do salons, and these salons facilitate meaningful conversations. So we aim to bring entrepreneurs, philosophers, scientists, engineers, people from all different types of professional background and 
even personal background. We try to bring these people together and we facilitate meaningful conversations. And this is where the experiment part comes in because it's been a matter of trying to figure out what are the best facilitators of conversation. So we usually have like it's an it's an all evening sort of thing. So if you it's a, on a Saturday, so when you come on a Saturday night, you're giving up your entire Saturday night. <laughs> so it's usually like uh, there's live music, there's poetry, there's talks that's you know interesting, and then for the most part, it's just trying to connect people and have them converse in a meaningful way. And I guess the whole idea is that you go to an event, and if it's an event that is pretty large, like over 30 people, then it's it's not as intimate as you'd like. So we keep it to like 30, 50 people, and we try to make it uh, highly intimate. So by the end of the night, the thing that we're looking for is where people walk away saying, hey, I've met someone who can be my friend, right? And these are things that have actually happened, right? Where people have gotten job just by going to the salon or they've gotten they've co-founders or investors or best friends i know people who've met at the Glen three years ago and they're like best friends with people they've met there today so it's sort of like uh having people converse on that level that will foster that type of relationship where people can go back out into the world and do do things together or they're just inspired to do something meaningful themselves. People have actually been inspired to do the glint in other locations like Mexico or or to join organizations that do things similar to the glint. That's the sort of stuff that that's our measure of success when people leave and that happens. So so yeah. So how do you I guess stay motivated and inspired with all this work that you're doing? You're a product designer, you're working on honey you're crafting these experiences with the glint. What sort of keeps you going? Surround yourself with inspiring people, people who are doing the same thing, people who are equally or even more passionate about what they're doing. And when you see them making strides and making moves and and doing things that, you know, that's inspiring, then that keeps you relatively motivated and also inspired to, to keep doing what you do. So that's the single best answer I can think about because otherwise things get hard, things things fall apart, things are not going as fast as you like or, you know, you're not making enough progress or it's really hard. And even when you're surrounded by those people, you might be tempted to compare and think that, well, damn, they're making progress, I'm not, right? But that's more like a negative way of looking at it. The positive way is like, oh, they're making progress. My turn is coming. I just have to work harder. I just have to keep at it. I just have to be consistent. So yeah, that's sort of like what keeps me going. Have you had any mentors that have also kind of helped you out? I haven't had mentors coming up. No, it's just really been mostly, yeah, no, no mentors really. <laughs> I'm thinking the fact that I have to think about it means the answer is really is no. Definitely, there have been people who've helped me along the way and given me advice. But I guess my definition of a mentor is those moments when you're breaking down and you're stuck and it's really hard to make that next step forward or you don't know how to. And you have someone to talk to and to, to lay that out and that can help you. That's my definition of a mentor. So by okay. that definition, no, I've never had anyone for that. 
Well, speaking of advice, what's been some of the best advice that you've gotten that's really stuck with you? Really good advice that I've, I've had is is pretty much what some of what I've said earlier about being consistent and driven. People will share and say that uh, you get to this point where you, like I'd ask, okay, how do you keep going? How do you do these things, right? Like I've asked questions like that before and usually the answers that I've aligned with is along the lines of it's that one step at a time sort of mentality. But at the same time, you have to be driven and you have to be consistent, right? I mean, consistent is such an important thing in almost everything we do, right? It, 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 to succeed or to be good or better at what we do is, requires consistency. So whatever you're doing now, you know, if positive, then be consistent at it, right? If you're a designer um, and you're now starting out and you're learning and learning it, it's, it's hard, right? Just be consistent. Keep at it. There are times when it's going to seem like you're not going anywhere, and you just have to keep going at it. Keep doing what you're doing, even though it seems like what you're doing is not progressing or taking you where you want to be as fast as you'd like. Just keep doing it. And that's the advice I give myself every day. How did you first get involved in design? Did you have any creative influences? Do you have any creative influences now? I'm from Guyana, so it's a small country in South America. Okay. So... I was picking up on an accent. I was trying to <laughs> I was trying to pinpoint where it might be, but that's cool. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm from there, and uh, I got involved in that around, I'm trying to remember, around what, 18, maybe? Well, I, got my, I got my first computer at 16. So I messed around with it until for about two years. So I'd say around what, 18, I, I got into design and just messing around with Photoshop and and then one of my friend, he's a web designer, and he taught me basically everything he knew about web design. So as a you know as a friend, he just like passed off everything to me, and I took that and I got better and better at it. And then I got to the point where I was getting paid, and then I figure, well, if I can get paid for this, this is awesome because I like doing it. So I decided to go to school for it, and then from there, it's just uh, yeah, my entire life has just been about design and learning this craft which I'm always learning I don't think I know as much as I'd like but yeah that's that's how I got into it so he was that friend was an inspiration and then you know there's just people online whose work you see that inspired me and I just wanted to do what they're doing so that helped a lot I've actually there's this website called iDigital Motion or something like that it was this is a long time ago and this was in the age of flash when it was prominent and I loved his website and never met the guy or anything, but he was an inspiration. And I did email him once and he's like, oh, he went to this college. So that kind of helped a lot as well. I've always tried to find that guy. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's kind of like how it progressed and I got deeper and deeper into design. Uh, with regards to creative influences, yeah, I have, a, I have a ton. My inspirations like, you know, John Maida are... are Sagmeister, for example, or really bad at names. Uh, but those type of individuals are who are my inspiration. Uh, John Maida especially is one of my biggest inspirations today. I think Julie Zhu at uh, Facebook, who heads up product, is amazing. Her articles are so on point. So yeah, I have a definitely have a few creative uh, inspirations in those people today. And there's lots more 
And they're, they're usually people who are outside of design doing interesting things that I think I would like to do someday. What was it like growing up in Guyana? It's we're part of the Caribbean, so okay, so it each people would have some idea of what the Caribbean is, what that culture is. So it's growing up in that culture. There's not a then there wasn't a lot of design. Hmm. I don't think today there's a lot a lot of design either. But it was worse even back then because uh you know, yeah, like Apple wasn't like people just didn't value design. At least now design is so so big, so ubiquitous, so important to our culture, to the products we use every day, is that that I would imagine it would impact somewhere like Guyana, even though they're on the fringes. But back when I started, it was nothing remotely close. Um, being a designer was the equivalent of being an artist in Guyana. It was fun and interesting. It was an interesting period of my life. I loved growing up there. It was like the most fun period of my life. I've got a perspective that most people don't have. They have from maybe watching TV or seeing the news or hearing about it, but I've got a perspective where I've lived it. So yeah, it's definitely something that I appreciate and I'm happy that that I had the experiences that I did in Ghana. You you just mentioned something that I think is kind of a byproduct of our modern times. I feel that a lot of what's is perceived as design is very closely tied to products like physical products. It's tied to software, things like that. And I guess, you know, kind of what you're doing with the glint, that's kind of a way to still design something, but it's not really something that is tied to a digital kind of medium or platform. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. That's essentially what I'm thinking about is, and that's why I do it is because it's more about designing on a different level. I write a lot about designing culture, so that's something I've been fascinated about. And, you know, I've talked to John Maida and Phil Sturman at Medium, so I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people about it because I think it's super interesting. And that's something that I've been practicing, how to design culture. So, you know, there's different ways. Like, I, I feel there are a lot of designers out there, and we seem to box ourselves in, in that we can only design, you know, software products, right? And I love designing software. I love doing product design. But at the same time, I'm just like, everyone's doing it. So what what else can I do? What's different that I can do? What I'm actually practicing and learning and teaching myself is how to design culture. I write about it. I research it. I talk to a lot of people about it. And because I, I think that's interesting. Like design is not always going to be tied to product. In fact, it isn't, right? So what are the other things that you can actually design? It's part of the reason that I continuously do Honey because it's awesome in the sense that I can explore designing communities and culture in that community. And I can explore culture at the Glint. And even at Neo, I experiment and explore with culture there. So um, all these things allow me to do that. And product design is the thing I do because I've been doing it for a while and I get paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember this piece that you wrote on Medium. I think it was called A Framework for Designing Sustainable Culture. Yeah. And you were saying that there's like these certain ways that you design culture. How has learning and about designing culture, how has that really helped you out as a product designer? As a product designer, well, it makes me think a lot more about 
the culture, the people designing for. We have personas and we have job personas, so to speak. And then I think a lot about like the culture persona because, and this, this is all relatively new to me, so I haven't really dug into it as much, but there's these personas, but at the same time, there's the culture persona that where even the job and the persona fits into, right? They're kind of like a subset of the culture persona because they, culture is the overarching thing that everyone is part of, right? But it's also different in the sense where it's like a job persona, for example, if you go by the job description, then in China, that would be different from, the same job would be different from the job in the U.S., right, versus China, so I once had to do a, a product design for, for a Chinese startup and culture was something that came into it in a huge way. It, it, that actually is what made me thought about it and, and saw the influence of culture because every day we design for the Western world, it's a Western culture, so we don't think about it. It's just, it's innate. We don't even have to think about it. We don't even have to consider it, right? But as globalization starts to happen, and countries like China and India and Singapore and all these places are emerging, then culture is going to become this thing that we have to think about because their culture is not the same as our culture. So I think it's very interesting to think about those things as a product designer. Do you have any other projects or things that you're working on this year or any kind of plans for the summer? Yeah, I'm working on something with my friends, and it's essentially called Playbooks. And what we're working is trying to figure out really is how to document uh, or how to capture processes within companies and organizations and processes that would allow that they can capture, but then they can collaborate and improve over time as opposed to it being static. So that's one of the things that we're working on for for this year. That's one of the things that I'm working on. And then there's, there's always stuff that I'm working on that'll emerge. I have a few smaller projects or ideas in mind. I'm just looking for a little bit of time to open up so I can execute on it. But un- until then, those are the things that I'm working on. Are you where you wanted to be at at this stage in your life? Growing up as a kid, you have certain ideas as to where you want to be when you're a certain age. But as a kid, you don't understand the realities of life. Amen. So, so I would say from that perspective, no, I'm not where I want to be. But as an adult and knowing the realities of life and all the the hardship that you have to go through and how progress is made it's i'm actually i'm surprisingly far far <laughs> in life it's it's kind of crazy i'm happy with where i am but can i do better can i you know should i be further yeah always you know that's what makes us human we always wherever we are is not ever enough it's always you want to be something else. You want more. That's why billionaires are still working and doing crazy shit because it's like, what's next? It's always the next step. No one ever, you never stop. Humans never stop. And the people who usually become successful never stop because that's what made them successful in the first place. So yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with where I am, but I, I think I'd, there's more that I'd love to achieve. So I don't even think about where I am as much as I think about where I'd like to be. Okay, let's flip that then. It's the year 2020. <laughs> what are you up to? What are you doing? The year 2020, I would hope I'm doing a couple of interesting things along the lines of either like designing and creating cities, right, to facilitate certain things, whether it's, you know, a city somewhere on planet Earth or if it would be in 
on Mars would be really awesome, actually. I follow space a lot. That's something that no one would know unless you follow me on Facebook, because that's where I post all that stuff. I follow a lot of stuff around space exploration and, you know, advances being made in that that industry, in addition to what the future would look like. So I definitely would love to be creating CDs. And I talk to my friends a lot about it. Like, how would we go about creating a city? And what would that look like? And hence the reason for me studying and thinking about community and culture and those kind of things, because that's what a city would require. I would love to be doing something in space in general, space, like either investing in it or, you know, working in a product in that industry where it's about space exploration. But in 2020, I most likely would not be opening Photoshop. (laughs) I will not be doing that. I will be the individual going into companies like Apple and or, you know, Twitter or Adobe or whoever and helping them figure out what their culture is and how to improve it. That's the type of person I would like to be. And the person for me who's doing that now that I respect a lot is John Maida, where he, that is who he is right now. He's a, he's a catalyst to many different things. And that's sort of what I want to be doing. I want to be thinking, you know, forward thinking and, and sharing that with people and helping people learn. So I would love to be that catalyst in the future. But it's definitely a long way from now. So, well, actually, no, that's in five years. No, it's, hey, trust yeah. me, you'll blink, it'll be here. Yeah, it's true. It's like five years from now. So, so yeah, there you go. It's a short time, a lot of work to do. <laughs> yep, get to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, just to, you know, kind of wrap this interview up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Where can they follow the work that you're doing? Stuff like that. So, yeah, you can pretty uh, active on, on Twitter. I share a lot of things that I, I read on Twitter in terms of design. So you can find me primarily there. That's the place where I am active in a, in a professional capacity. So my Twitter handle is the Madre. All right. And for the other things that you're doing for Honey, for the Glint, where can they find that out? Um, find out more about- for Honey, it's uh, honey.co. So that's H-U-N-I-E. Co. You can also look us up on Twitter at honey.co as well. For the glint, it is T-H-E-G-L-I-N-T.com. And you can also find us at It's the Glint on Twitter. So those are the two places where we're fairly active. Also, the, for the glint, you can, we're fairly active on Instagram, where we post inspirational stuff and what we're doing. It's the same thing as Twitter at It's the Glint. It's the Glint. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Well, Damien, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about the work that you're doing with not just, you know, about product design, because I think that's important for people to learn about, but also about what you're doing with Honey, with the Glint, and really kind of talking about the work that you're doing around designing culture and where that will go, you know, sort of into the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's really awesome to be on it. So thanks again. And For everyone who've listened this far, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Damien Madre and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Damien and Honey and The Glint through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to the companies that help us make this possible, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. 
When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They've got really great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code JUNEBUG at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday, and if you see something else you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. <laughs> Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, helps us bump up in those iTunes rankings. Those are really important. And I'll even read your review here on the show just like I did with Seth Stuff's review at the top of the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit our new home over at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1, $1, and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.